0: Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. All right. There, there's less applause this week than last before. Um, how's, how, how's, how's everybody doing? All right, I'm going to try at the suggestion of my wife to pull this chair over here so I'm not so distracting getting my water. Um, is that okay? I just hope I don't trip over the chair. So, how many you are doing okay tonight? Like, did, were, you, were you okay after, after last week? I, I'm looking around at the, the feelers, and this is kind of fun for me, actually. I look around at the feelers in the room, and if you're one of these feelers and you just want everybody in the room to be okay... Like, I saw those distressed looks on Facebook. So, if you're that person, um, sorry for the stress. Uh, That was probably the most intense uh, week that we'll have. But we want the truth of Scripture, right? Okay, so that's what we're going to go after. There was a a quote that I wanted to read to you guys, which is... um, after last week, and then I want to make a couple comments before we get into point number five. This, this is a quote from William Booth, founder of Salvation Army, who died in 1912, I think. Um, here's what he said. Most Christians would like to send their recruits to Bible college for five years. I would like to send them to hell for five minutes. That would do more than anything else to prepare them for a lifetime of compassionate ministry. (laughs) He also, that's a quote of his, but he also said at a graduation of the Salvation Army recruits one time, which I've read, I I find him a fascinating person. Um, That's an all-in guy right there. He said, I'm sorry that I have taken up your time for the last year and a half training you for this. If I could have sent you to hell for five minutes, you would have been ready to go already. But now I've had to take a year and a half to train you to do this. So same kind of idea there. But listen, here's the truth. I hope you'll hear me. If you want to be a good student of Scripture and a lover of the truth, you have to be okay with tension. You cannot have a theology that does away with all of the tension." It's not possible because Jesus makes the truth to be in the tension so often. Are we predestined or is it man's choice? Yes. Did God choose us before the foundation of the world? Yes. Do we choose Christ and receive Him? Yes. Well, which is it? It's both. We have to embrace both. So what we do is we evangelize like it all depends on us, but we pray like it all depends upon God. You you have to be okay with the tension. Jesus was the master at being okay with the tension. Let me just read you a couple of verses out of Matthew chapter 10. This is so powerful. I, I laugh every time I read this because it's like, what? Matthew 10, 28. This is a closed-door meeting with His disciples. Now, if you go back to the beginning of Matthew 10, He's meeting with His disciples. He's getting them ready to go out and minister, and He's talking to His own disciples. These are people that left everything to follow Him. He goes in verse 28, Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Disciples, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't fear. You're more valuable than sparrows. Which is it? It's both. Does God tenderly love us and care for us? Yes, 100%. Is he compassionate? Listen, I will tell you the truth. I I walk and live under the smile of the father. I really do. I have a happy relationship with the Lord. I'm not worried that He's going to strike me down. I'm not, but, but I'm also very aware that what I deserved and what I got are light years apart. Like what I deserved was hell. I realized that my life before God apprehended me out of His own sovereign pleasure, and that's really what it was. He was the, my story was like Zacchaeus, where he's, Zacchaeus is up in the tree and Jesus walks by and goes, I'm going to your house today. He didn't ask permission. Hey, dude, do you have anybody coming? No, I'm going to your house today, and I'm coming in, and when I come in, I'm going to wreak havoc there because when I come into your house, everything that you have built your life on is going to shake and shatter. So here you're the greedy guy who's a tax collector who is betraying the nation of Israel by bilking them and then putting extra money in your pocket, and immediately when Jesus comes in, his whole world begins to shake, and he goes... If I've done anybody wrong, I'll pay them back four times. Take half of everything that I've got. There's a release. That's a heart change that happens. There's a total shift when Jesus comes into the house. And sometimes he invites himself in there. He doesn't even ask your permission to come in. If, if, if you're like me, that's totally my story. Like I had no inkling. And he came in. So we, we, have to be, we have to be okay with the tension because truth in Scripture is held in tension. It really, really is. And so, the love of the Father, this is what Paul said, I want you to know the kindness and the severity of God, right? In Romans 11. To those who rejected Him, severity. To those who embraced Him, kindness. That tension will never go away, and we have to be okay with it and embracing it. But if you're a believer, here's, here's the way to walk under the smile of the Father, okay? Can I just tell you? Uh, I've walk, not, I'm not expert in anything, but I, but I have walked with the Lord for a little while. Walking under the Father's smile, is simply walking in a way where your desire is just to please Him and give Him what He wants, and where you keep a clear conscience. That, that's really, it's really that simple. And you recognize that Christ Jesus is all of your righteousness. It's not your own performance. That everything that's good in you, this is a good practice. I do this sometimes because I'm a little quirky. But I'll look in the mirror and go, everything that's good in your life has come because Christ Jesus has put it inside of you. You didn't make any of that. Not one bit of it did you make. He gave it to you as a free gift. So here's the genius of it. We get the blessing. He gets all the glory. This is the genius of grace. But I encourage you to be okay with the tension in Scripture, you can't do away with it. The the debate, I loved it in in, in Maranatha because the students always want to talk about Calvinism versus Armenianism. Right? That's the first thing that comes out. Okay, let's go after it. Let's do the wrestle. I love to have the whiteboard. Let's do the wrestle. These these scriptures here, boom. What are you going to say to that? But the mistake that we make is not to embrace all of the truth of Scripture, we have to make it settle so that we can answer everything. So we minimize tons of Scriptures in order to feel settled in our own heart and to get rid of the tension, and that's always a mistake. Because we're supposed to embrace both sides and go, I don't understand exactly how these go together, but I know they're both true, so I'm going to embrace them both. So I'm going to fish in every puddle, creek, lake, stream for the lost. I'm going to pray for them to come, but I'm going to trust that God, and I know and recognize that only by His Spirit will anybody respond. And so, He gets the glory. It's not my clever presentation. I mean, the presentation that hooked me, that my mother said to me was, you believe in God, don't you? That was masterful evangelism, just masterful. And I said, yeah, I guess so. When I said that, the Holy Spirit came on me like electricity, and I did not know what was going on, and my life has never been the same since that day when I was a 15 year old boy living for my own pleasure and had no inkling of God. So, just saying, it's not all dependent on us, but we need to work like it's dependent on us and pray and trust like it's dependent on God. Hold the tension. If you're, going to, if you're going to be a good student of Scripture, you have to be okay with embracing both sides of the tension. And there's lots of things in Scripture that are a little bit tense. So, it's okay. You've got to be okay with that. All right. Number five. This is page 15, point number five, foundational principle of the Word of God. The central mission of the church is to make disciples disciples. Right? Well, well, we're in Matthew, let's just just read it in Matthew 28. I love this passage. It's so astonishing and comforting to me at the same time. Matthew 28, so I'm going to read a little bit more than what I have um, here. I only have verses 19 through 20. But let me go back to verse 16 of Matthew 28. Here's what it says. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. He rose from the dead. They saw him. Five hundred saw him at one time. He came and walked through the walls of the room. He ate with them. he Cooked fish for them. He talked with them. He explained the Scriptures to them for 40 days. And now they're at the ascension and they see Him there and He's talking to them. But some of the 12 doubted. That definitely could have been me. It could have been you. Here's hope for us. Jesus is okay with calling knuckleheads to do His work. This gives us hope. He's okay with having those that may struggle. They don't have it all ducks in a row. Like, really? You had Jesus. You walked with Him from the days of John the Baptist, the beginning of His ministry. He taught you personally. You slept with Him, uh, you know, in the same room. You, You ate With him, you talk with him. You saw him work miracles over and over and over again. Feed the 5,000, walk on the water. You saw all of these things. You saw him die, but then you saw him rise from the dead, and he walked through the wall into the room and said to Thomas in front of you, are you really doubting me? (laughs) That's a real hole. Touch it. That's a real. For 40 days he taught them after his resurrection. But some doubted on the day when he was ascending. I just find that marvelous. Um, Evidently you don't, but it's okay. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. To observe all that I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're familiar with the Great Commission. Um, This is what our calling is as a church, right? To make disciples. Right? Right? We're making disciples. So, what is a disciple? Let me read this again. The central mission of the church is to make disciples. And I want to show you this from Scripture. It's very clear. The main characteristic of true disciples is that they obey the words of Jesus. Did he say that in verse 20? Here's what you do to make disciples. First, you baptize them. Because what is baptism? Baptism is like the marriage ceremony. Okay, it doesn't get you saved, but it's a public proclamation that my life belongs now to this person. That's why baptism is so important, and that's why it's part of the commission. Because if y'all are gonna shack up, ain't gonna work. You gotta publicly proclaim and own me before the world I belong to Jesus Christ. So I, here's here's the ring. I belong to him. That's what baptism is. We need that. We're going to have one, I think, in here next week, or at least one, maybe more. And then, so there's two parts to making disciples that he has in here. First is the marriage ceremony, where you're actually going to own Jesus publicly and confess him before people, and then secondly, teaching them to observe. Another word for observe is? Obey. obey. How many don't like the word obey? You, don't, you just don't like that word. No. God's not about obe- obedience. Really? He's not? Tell me what the biblical definition of love for God is, please. Anybody? Obedience. All right. Tell me the scripture. You know what, Matthew? Good. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keep them, keeps them, He. it is who loves me. There's also another verse in 1 John 5, 3, which says it even more plainly. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. This is the love of God. So, would it be okay for me to say that God's love language is obedience? Would that be fair to say that? So if you really want to touch God in his heart, Lord, help me. Help me not. I don't want to be snarky. I'm not trying to be snarky. All right. I just want to move your heart. And he says, obedience is my love language. Just do it then. Let's do it. It's so good. I'm not saying he doesn't love our worship. You hear what?" You hear from me, right? He does. That's part of what we're supposed to do, is to proclaim the excellencies of him. So that comes with worship. But the Lord loves us to be diligent with obeying his word. And that's how we make disciples. And this is a process, right? So here again is the tension, right? We we're we're in Christ Jesus, we have all the blessings in the heavenly realm, right? Ephesians 1.3. He's blessed us with all of the blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, His Son. So, our identity, and this is a big buzzword now, our identity is that we're in Christ, and in Him we have the fullness of all that God offers us. And so, why why do we need anything else? But the issue is we have to walk that out. We have to walk in the Spirit. That has to be incorporated into our life. It can't just be oh, my identity's in Christ Jesus, so then everything's good. He's like, no, actually, that's great. That's the resource. That's the ocean that you need of supply for what I want you to do and the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of you and the new heart that I placed inside of you. There's powerful things that happen in the new birth. He says, I'll put in you a heart of flesh. On that heart of flesh, I will write my laws and my statutes. And Ezekiel 36, so powerful, says... I will cause you to walk in my ways. I'm going to make you walk in my ways. How many have ever had God make you do something? His Spirit compels us to go in the right direction. It's like slanting the table playing pinball. He slanted it in our favor. But we still have to choose and walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, right? There's still that tension. Here's the tension between the flesh and the Spirit. So we can talk about identity. It's powerful. It's beautiful. I preach on it. I think it's amazing. But it's not, it doesn't do away with obedience. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It doesn't take the place of obedience. Obedience is following the Lord Jesus as His disciple. And please notice that he, He didn't say, Um, Teaching them to observe some of what I have commanded you. Especially the stuff that's super exciting. Teach them to obey that. That's amazing. But here's the deal. For believers, discipleship is not a menu. You don't go in there. So I love Carrabba's. Even though I don't go there uh, anymore. Um, In my past life, I love Carrabba's. That's a splurge. But I love Carrabba's. So when I go in there... I ordered pretty much the same thing. I love their grilled chicken thing, whatever they call it now. They've changed the name about 3 times cuz every time, you know this, whenever you change the name of a of a dish, you can add $2 onto it. You, no, and it's true. No, this is really true. I read a study on this. Like if you just have a generic thing like grilled chicken, no, then that's that's now it's 15.99. But back in the day, maybe 12.99. But if you put on there some kind of bougie name of the grilled chicken that comes from, it's Tuscan now, it's it's got this special sauce on it. It's the same thing. But now you can raise the price to $17.99. And everybody goes, yes, I've got to have that. That sounds amazing. And if you have a better picture of it, this is the science of selling food at restaurants. It really is. I read an article on this. It's fascinating. But this is what happens. Um, but... but the scripture is not, is not a menu. We, we don't get to choose what we don't and what we don't like, right? All right. All, all the feelers, I'm looking at your face now. Are you okay? You guys okay? Um, it's all of it. So, in order to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, then that means we need to know everything that He commanded us, right? And we need to be able to incorporate the teaching of Jesus into people's lives and to help them to walk it out and to live it. This is what how we disciple people. This is how people become strong in the Lord. This is how they become able to help others to be disciples. And the, the process goes on. Um, so... First John 5 3, we mentioned that. I like the end of that. It says, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why are his commandments not burdensome for believers? Say it louder. Grace. Yeah. So here's the deal we have a new heart. Our new heart is bent towards obeying obeying God. There is a yes. If you're a born-again believer, there's a yes in your spirit to the Lord. It's in there. And the Holy Spirit himself lives in you, and he dispenses grace, which is the ability to do things that are impossible for the natural person. That's what grace is. It enables us to do what we could not otherwise do. So the resources are there, but we have to choose for those things to be working in us. That's why it's not burdensome. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Tough question. Um, And then let the word of Christ dwell richly within all of you. This is talking about our community. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. So we're actually all called to teach one another. And in order to do that, we have to be filled with the word. I want to... Um, look at this passage from John chapter 8. And we're talking about discipleship and the role of the Word of God. This is our main mission as a church. We're discipling people. If we're not discipling, then we're not giving Jesus what He wants. If, if we're having meetings, so, so really, let's think about this. If, if we're having meetings that primarily are geared towards entertaining the saints... We should probably reanalyze that if that's mostly what we're doing. Okay, so I believe 100% in the supernatural. I believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. But if that's all we're doing when we get together, if that's our focus, then I'm going to say we, we're off balance. Okay, how are the feelers doing right now? You doing okay? It's true. It's off balance. Because what does the Word say that we're supposed to do? What does Jesus want? He wants disciples. That's what our mission is. So at the end of the day, as believers, as churches, as church leaders, we're going to have to give account to Jesus, and he's going to say, did you do what I told you? Did you?" Yeah, Lord, we had some of the most amazing meetings you can imagine. Like, were you there? Yeah, I guess you were there in some of those. It was amazing. Like, you, all the things that happened with people, it was just incredible. And he's like, well, did, did you make disciples, though? I I want all-in followers where I'm not just an add-on in their life to to make their life better, but I'm actually the core and the blazing center of their whole life. So then it affects their marriage. It affects their child-rearing. It affects their money. Because sometimes Jesus might say, you can't buy that boat with my money. He might say that. looking for my feelers. Okay. Look, this is the discipleship conversation. We have to decide, is this what we're doing? When we're training people, are we training them to do what Jesus said? Are we training them to be obedient, all-in followers of the Lord Jesus? This is why we need the Word. This is why we need to be saturated with the Word. I've been reading through… So, I'll just tell you, this is how I do it, and this is how I found most helpful to me. You don't have to do it this way, of course. You won't anyway, so it's okay. Um, I read through books of the Scripture at a time. Like, I'll take a book in the Old Testament, a book in the New Testament, and I'll just go through them, and I'll just comb through them and just read them and meditate on them. And as I'm going through, I'll write down questions that I have where I don't understand it, or I want to look it up later so I don't get too bogged down, and I'll just ponder, and I'll just go through, and I'll read it, and read it over again, and I'll read it over again, and just try to take in the message of the whole book, because where we go wrong a lot of times is that we cherry-pick verses out of their context and make them say things that they aren't saying in their context, which is the only meaning that words have, right? We'll talk about that more when we get into, you know, rightly handling the Scripture. But There's so many times where I've read through, like in in some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, which you probably haven't read for a little while, um, because it's not the kind of thing. We we go to the letters of Paul. How many gravitate to the letters of Paul? New Testament letters, Gospels, Acts, right? Um, I do too. I I love those. But I made it a point. I'm going to go through books of the Old Testament and books of the New Testament. I go through the whole book. I'll read. I'll remind myself of the context of the... uh, you know, of the, of the situation that the book came out of, especially in the prophets. Like I've known and forgotten a lot of the details, and so I have to refresh myself. And I go, oh, this was the king then. Oh, this was the prophet. This is the thing that's happening there. So it gives you context. And then you read verses, and you go, that's where that is. That's, that's where that, oh, that makes sense in here. Now I see it in its context, and then we understand it. So it's really helpful. So I've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, um, recently and reading in there it's phenomenal the echoes of it in the new testament so deuteronomy moses is taking the children of israel they've wandered around for 40 years because of their disobedience and their unbelief in saying the giants are too big and we can't do it even though god promised that he's not able to do it so got the 40-year trek in the in the wilderness moses is getting ready he's instructing them on look here's your second chance And Deuteronomy means second law. So Moses is rehearsing all the things that happened in their history. And he's telling them, if you want to go into the promised land and take it this time, the most important thing you need to do is to be careful to do the things that the Lord told you to do. And he's going to bless you and be with you and his favor will be on you. And things will happen that could never happen on your own. So, so do that. And he says it over and over again. And this phraseology of if you love me, keep my commandments is echoed in Deuteronomy scores of times, just over and over and over and over again. And I know Jesus loved Deuteronomy because when he was in the wilderness being tempted, he quoted three verses to the devil. And where do you think those came from? Uh, all three from Deuteronomy. Yeah. So, the New Testament has the echoes there, and this is the flavor of doing, if, if love for God is keeping doing the thing that He said. And so, you're like, well, this is a New Testament Christianity because it's not all about obedience. It's not about, no, it's not all about obedience, but that is what discipleship is. And so, let me, let me read this, um, In John chapter 8, I find this remarkable, this passage. I I just love it. And this is one of the passages where I read through there and I laugh out loud at Jesus' boldness and audacity. It it amazes me. All right, here we go. John 8, verse 30. As he spoke these things, notice this, many came to believe in him. So put that in your brain. There's many who believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, and we're going to find out in a minute that their belief wasn't necessarily real. They, they thought Jesus was cool. They thought Jesus was awesome in that He could do miracles, and they were attracted to Him because of His godness. They felt the presence of the Spirit of God, no doubt, when He raised the dead, healed the sick, and cast out demons. They saw that He was, in, when He's spoke the words of God. He carried authority, and they were attracted to that. There was something that was compelling about Jesus that they liked, and so they believed on Him in that level. But here's the deal. Just believing on that level is different than being a disciple. We're going to find out what that is. If you continue in my word, notice that phrase, so important. It's the word for abide, remain, continue, and it has the idea of Attaching yourself to that word, to where that word shapes your life. This is the heart of discipleship, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit here. I'll, I'll get stopped so many times in, on the road here. I'll try not to stop so many times because everything to me is amazing here. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. So get the connection there. Our discipleship is measured by our attachment to his word. You get that. Jesus defines discipleship by whether or not we continue in His Word. And we'll talk about that word continue here coming forward. So just get that. There's a connection between discipleship and His Word that is undeniable. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We like to quote that part, but listen, this is a three-point message here. Continue in my Word is the first point. Then you will know the truth is the second point, and then you'll be set free is the third point. But we jump right to the third point and go, if you know the truth, it'll set you free. Not necessarily. no you have to continue in the word. That means you have to fight through it. You have to tough it out. Do you know Paul when he encouraged Timothy in the last book that he wrote in Second Timothy? Preach the word with all perseverance. Don't give up. Keep preaching it. Keep preaching it because in the last times there will be those who will not endure sound teaching. Why would you have to endure sound teaching? Because it doesn't always feel good. And we know that because in that passage he says and people are going to turn away from from the truth, and heap to themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. We'll find somebody who tells us what we want to hear, bless God. Don't be talking about discipleship stuff. No, that's too hard. No, no, don't be talking to me about self-denial. Don't be talking to me about taking up my cross. Don't be talking to me about that I don't own my own stuff. I know what I own. Get out of my pocket, preacher. And here's why. Listen, because we don't do this. Can I just be honest with you? You know I'm going to anyway. The the reason that we have so many issues in the church world as a whole is because we have a lot of believers like we're in John 8 here. But they weren't disciples. Because we haven't trained them to be disciples. We've tried to make everything easy for them so that everything's pleasant and nobody gets their feelings hurt and nobody gets offended and nobody has to do hard things and we don't call them up to the standard that the Lord Jesus who bought us called us to. Like, who are we to change His standards? It's arrogant. And so we have a mix of wheat and tares, those who believe and they're excited... They're excited fans. Oh my goodness, that was such an amazing... You see that guy when he walked on the chairs? I mean, that was so cool. (laughs) Had a a friend one time in a church that we were in. There were pews, and one of his messages, I said, I'll never forget. He got up on the pews in the back, and he walked across the top of the back of the pews all the way from the back to the front of the church. My wife can tell you, that's a true thing. I was like... No, not on these chairs, bro. Wait, that's number one. Number two, my reflexes ain't what they used to be. So no, that's a hard no. Um, all right, so if you continue my word, you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Get that progression. It's, it's a progression that you can't change. You can't just jump to. The truth will make you free. So if I just tell you one word of Scripture, all of a sudden you're free. No. Now, they answered him, listen, these are people who believed in him. Notice how quickly this descends. <laughs> We're Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? And Jesus, right away, he, he just goes for the jugular right away. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. You who say you believe in me and you're big fans, you think I'm awesome? But I'm going to point out to you that you got a sin issue that is unresolved, and we're going to go after that first. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed, but there's a process. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. The ones that were cheering, you're amazing. Man, did you see what Jesus did? It's just a few verses before he calls them out, like, You want to kill me? When I talked about your sin, you want to kill me. You believers. You will seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Hear that phrase. You heard my word. You saw my works. But my word does not have a place in you. It doesn't grip and control and shape your life because that's what happens with disciples. You don't love the truth. You love the stuff that I do to excite you. You love the stuff that I do to fix you. You love the stuff that I do to heal you and to get you free and to feed you. But my word taking hold of you and turning your world upside down and making you question everything, that you don't want. But that's what disciples are. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. How to win, friends, and influence people by Jesus. They answered and said to them, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication like you. Now that's, I added that in there. They, they might have been thinking that though because that was, that was a thing that was out there. I think a lot of people knew that Mary was not married when she had Jesus. We have one Father God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded and have come forth from God. For I've not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. There is this bias in them. They want Jesus to fix their stuff. They want Jesus to feed them and to entertain them and to put on the miracle show. They want that. But they don't want his word to change their life and to grip their life you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Oh, well. Is that awkward? Is there a little tension in the room when he said that? Here's Jews who believed in, like Jesus, this would be a total F in homiletics in Bible college, I can tell you. Like, you got a crowd here, and they like you. Like you gotta play to that. You got you gotta play to that and and, and kind of ease them in if you got something on he's like, no, no, no. They're not real. They're they're all about themselves, and they want me to play into that game, and that's not how I play. I want their whole life. Because that's what being Lord means. And if you're gonna be my disciple, right? Think of all the things that Jesus said, discipleship was. Every day, take up your cross. No one can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions, Jesus said in Luke 14, What? This is not discipleship. This is bondage, brother. This is bondage. Well, it is slavery. But it's beautiful slavery that sets you free. When everything belongs to him, you don't have to worry about your stuff anymore. It's so freeing not to have to worry about losing stuff. How are my feelers doing right now? Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. Then he gets down to, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. That doesn't make sense, does it? Because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Why is that? Because in their heart, there was something that repelled the truth when it wasn't feeling good. And it wasn't going the direction that they wanted to go. But Jesus is trying to make disciples. He's not trying to make fans. Fans are easy to make, but they're also very fickle, and so they're going to abandon whenever it gets hard. But disciples are tempered. They hold to the Word. They continue. Even when it's hard, they continue in that Word. They go, you know what? I don't know how this is going to play out in my life, but I know the Lord is dealing with me about this thing, and I've got to. I've got to do this. This is. This is what following him means. It means doing what he says and doing what he wants. If if this could be widely understood in the Church of Jesus Christ in the West, there would be, we we wouldn't have to have meetings to pray for revival. Revival would would be there. Would, would happen. If every heart is intent upon Lord, whatever you say, instead of trying to think up reasons why, no, I don't have to do that. That's not, no, that's not what disciples do. We continue in His Word, and we let it, we let it shape us. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God, here's, here it is. He who is of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do, you do not hear them because you're not of God. All right. F in homiletics right there. F in homiletics. No. You don't say that. You don't offend. Jesus has a higher goal than being liked by people. It's the goal of transforming their life and for their life to be rightly shaped by Him. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 where Paul says, you were these people who are living in rebellion against God. I'm paraphrasing now. He goes, but thank God now that you have been delivered to the form of teaching that you have received. You've been delivered to it. So it wasn't that he brought the teaching to them. He said, no, here, we're taking you to the teaching and putting you, get in there. You're going in the teaching. It's like a mold that's going to shape your life. Anybody been to Disney Springs? You know where the volcano is? What's the name of the restaurant? That's the, Rainforest. Outside the Rainforest Cafe there is a penny press. Ever see that? You actually pay money to destroy your money. <laughs> this it sounds like a government operation. <laughs> um, so you put in your 50 cent, or maybe it's a dollar now, probably is inflation, you know. Uh, so let's say you put in your dollar, and you put your penny in, in the machine. And so what happens? then you got to do all the work anyways. So you're paying and you're doing all the effort to destroy your money. How smart is that? So, so the idea is that you're going to put your penny in there and you crank it, right? Have you, who, who's done it? You, you pick out the face that you want on your penny now. Who, who's, whose face is on a penny? Abe. Abe Lincoln. A Lincoln's face is on the penny. You put it in there, and there's steel wheels in there, and you're cranking it. And that penny's going in, and it, gets, it goes into those wheels. And it gets smashed. And you're pushing it through there, and it gets flat. Because you know the penny goes from that size, and when it comes out, it's like that. It's like a little, little pancake size. But it, the first thing that happens is you go into the press. I'm talking about you as the penny going into the mold like this is you. You want to be my disciple here? <laughs> I've got a machine for you <laughs> just come right up, come right up get get right in there, and I'm going to crank that and and the wheels are going to turn, and those steel wheels smash that penny, and the face that was on there gets smashed off, and then that penny goes around to another. Wheel, and there's a, there's a die there that, that stamps it. And if you picked out Goofy or Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse or whatever, it goes through those wheels again. And then that press stamps a different face onto that coin. And you keep cranking it. And it comes out bigger. But now it's not Abe anymore. You've ruined your money. You can never spend it. You got rid of your quarters anyway. But now you've got a different face on your penny. And you can go home and show everybody, look, I've got Goofy on my penny here. So, here's what happens. You can still barely see the face of Abe underneath, like almost like shadow, but there's a new face that's stamped on there. This is a perfect picture of discipleship. Get, get, get into my word. Let it be. I'm delivering you, Paul said to the Romans. I've delivered you into this form, this mold of teaching, and this is what's going to happen. How many have ever said when you go on through those wheels? Ah, that hurts. Keep cranking. He said, Keep cranking. What's going to happen is if you keep in that, if you continue in that process, it's going to come out with a different image. It's going to be the image of the Son of God that's going to be seen on your life. You can still see the shadow of A behind it underneath, but he's not the first thing. He's not prominent now. Now there's a new image on there. It's the image of Christ that he stamped on us, and he uses this as the machine that we get crushed in, but we also get stamped with the new image, and people look at us and they go, I can see Jesus in you. That's so beautiful. You used to be so selfish. And now you're giving up your spare time in order to vacuum the house. That's so beautiful. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) That's so powerful. This is discipleship. This is why the Word is so important. This is why we can't just take little word flakes. And go, that's going to be sufficient. No, we need to, we're supposed to immerse ourselves in this word and let it shape us. We have a heart that goes, even though I'm going to get smashed in my image, I want my image gone. I want a different image. I want his face on me and not my own anymore. So, let's look at a few of the phrases from this. Insights from John 8. Powerful passage. Many came to believe in him the Jews who had believed in him. Twice it says that. Evidently, they had a lot of admiration, respect for Jesus. They believed he was a prophet, recognized God's wisdom and power working through him. They could have even believed that he may be the Messiah, but their faith was not the faith of genuine disciples. Excited fans are not always disciples. There's a difference. Disciples go through the press. They get pushed into the form. They get squeezed into that form because it's a new image. If you continue in my word, you're truly my disciple. This is the standard that Jesus demands, continue in my word. Here's what one New Testament scholar said that word continue means, living with his words so continuously that they become part of our being, a permanent influence that shapes our lives. Such a good definition. That's what continue means. Continue in my word. Then you're going to know the truth, and then the truth is going to set you free. It's a process. Sometimes, thank God, people get delivered instantly, but I want to tell you something. My observation over more than 40 years of watching and being part of this is that if they don't get stamped with a new image, they won't stay free for long. They'll be back. I've seen the same people over the years come back for deliverance from the same things over and over and over and over. Respond to the same altar call over and over and over and over. And it's, okay, I mean, keep coming. Yeah, that's good. But there's, there's something that's, that's missing there. What, what's missing? It's called discipleship. And we have to let our lives be shaped by God's Word. It's powerful. Um, we must apply it and practice it, or we're building our lives on a false and flawed foundation that will surely collapse. You remember Matthew chapter 7? You can build your house upon the rock, or you can build your house on the sand. The storm's going to come, right? Same storm's going to come to everybody's life. How many have had storms in your life? How many have had a lot of storms in your life? The older you are, the more you raise your hand, right? A lot of storms in your life. It's, it's just, it just keep coming. But here's the thing. You, building on the rock to Jesus is not building on hearing his word. It's not being an excited fan. It's actually letting the word shape you, continuing in it. And he said, if you are a doer of my word, when the storm comes and the floods descend and the water crashes against that house, it won't fall because it's founded on a solid rock. That's what doing the word, being shaped by it, and having it as the foundation of our lives produces stability and strength where we're not washed away. Now, do we need each other in community? Absolutely, 100%. We need each other. The Lord made us to need each other, and He made it so that we couldn't get all the grace that we needed by going to the prayer room. I love the prayer room, but you can't get all the grace that you need there because God so ordained the body that there's a joint sitting next to you who's got to supply some of the grace that you need because He makes us interdependent upon each other in His wisdom. Otherwise, we would a lot of us would just go our own way and go, I don't really need you, and I don't like you either. But... um. But he makes it so that we have to overcome. And here's part of our growth, right? He hooks us up with people that we don't really like. And it chafes us a little bit. Amen. And Jesus is a, is a master of doing this. When our children were younger, two boys had a little bit of conflict with each other. And they, they would just be on each other's nerves. We homeschool them. So they'd sit there at the table, knock each other's pencil off the table, or look at each other like, "Ooh." ooh. And, He's looking at me. And they just had a hard time. And so we had heard somebody give this suggestion and Diane said to them, "You know, if you guys can't get along, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tie you together." And you're going to have to walk through the day together. Like, and they're like, no, like, yep. And so they couldn't seem to get past it. And so we had the older brother who was very good at knots, um, gave him a piece of rope and said, tie these boys together. And so they were tied together. And when, okay, if you have to go to the bathroom, then you have to go together. If you have to go to the refrigerator, you have to go together because you guys now are together. You know what? You're going to grow up to be best friends, and you're not going to live like this, nitpicking one another. And so we tied them together, and they went through the day. And at first they were like, "Mm," but you can't get away from them because you're tied to them. And so they would walk, and they'd both fall down on the ground, and they start laughing. And then they get back up and like, let's go over here. And it wasn't 30 minutes. Was it, babe? Something like that. 30 minutes. And they're laughing. And they think it's the funniest thing. And they, but they still stay tied together. And I think we did that for one day. And then they kind of regressed a little bit. And we did that maybe one more time. And then they're best friends today. And they're both over 30. Um, the Lord does that with us, He knows that we have carnal traits. And he knows that we're, we want to be loners and that we don't want to walk dependent upon other people. So he finds people, and he says, I want you to tie to this brother. <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah. I want you to tie this brother. This is what the beauty of community is. And when we have church just as a spectator sport where we come together and we don't have to get tied together with people that chafe us, we don't grow up into Christ-like people. We still keep our self-centered traits where we're going to withdraw and we're not going to get vulnerable and we're not going to get saved. This is the wisdom and the beauty of Jesus. This is just part of what discipleship is. Moving through the last few of these points here. The truth will set you free. There's a progression. I mentioned that. Everyone who can say uh, sin is a slave of sin. This is point number four. Notice how Jesus goes right for the kill shot by calling out the reality of their sin. Because he truly loves, he relentlessly pursues the things that keep us from him. This is so good. This is the great heart of Jesus. He doesn't stop for our no. He keeps coming. Thank God. I thank God that he does that. I thank God that he does that. There's so many times in my life where I'm like, no, no, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I can't do I can't do this. He's like, but, but you're going to. But, but I can't. I told you I can't keep doing this. It's not working. But, but you're going to. I'm going to help you because this is the way we're going. And, like, if he's the master, he's the master, right? This is what disciples do. Disciples say, yes, Lord. Like, you don't say, no, Lord. You say, yes, Lord. If he owns you, then you say yes. Yes. True disciples must be okay with full exposure of their sin and full submission to the words of Jesus. If we reject this process, then we're not true disciples. This is the revealing test of true disciples. They love the truth more than they love their own comfort and reputation. This is the test of true disciples. They love the truth more than they love their own comfort or reputation. Is that, is that amen or is that ouch? Okay. God and the devil are both asking you the same question. They're asking Christians the same question. How much is God's truth worth to you? And what will you trade it for? Will you trade it for comfort? Will you trade it for convenience? Will you trade it for an easier way in the short term? Disciples don't have that option. Disciples are those whose lives are shaped, held, and in a sense, in the positive sense of this word, bound by the Word of Christ. We don't have the option. Like, this happens all the time. I hear this all the time. This is part of rightly handling the Word of God. Well, we're going to find a way to rationalize why that Scripture does not apply to me. Because there was this background that was happening in that church and all that, and this is why it doesn't apply to me. That's not what disciples say. Disciples say, Lord, if that's what you said, it has to be a yes. It might be a a whining yes, but it has to be a yes because I'm your disciple. I'm going to be shaped by your word. My life is going to be shaped in every aspect by your word, every aspect of my life, every aspect. I remember a time, an early part of Heart of the Father. I was just reminded of this recently. I felt like the Lord put on my heart to talk to a a brother there about his finances. And so the first time I was like, nah, probably not. Um, But the Lord kept bringing it up to me. And I went and I said, look, the Lord's brought this up to me multiple times. I just want to talk to you and just ask you. I don't know what your situation is. See, back in those days, I was really felt really good and free because for the first eight years of heart of the Father, I didn't get one penny from the church, and I was happy because then I could talk to people openly about the finances, and they were not think it was a, I wanted to get in their pocket. And I didn't care. So I sat him down. And I said, "Hey, what what is the deal? Like, are do you, are you generous giver? Do you do you give?" to the cause of Christ or with your money or whatever. and whatever and I could tell by his immediate look not really so it was a little bit awkward but he has said since that time um, doesn't live here anymore he's not part of this body just in case you're wondering no <clears throat> um, it changed his life just that thing there I said you know scripture teaches right you're, you're a steward and so are you are you doing right with, with the money that God has given you and he's like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change though." And he did. He changed from that moment, and his life um, turned around financially as well. He he began to to give generously. You know, I tell people it's not it's not about heart of the Father. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. That's part of discipleship. That is that is being a disciple. I know we don't like to talk about things that are personal, but I know this. In the Gospels, Jesus sat down in front of the temple this close to where the money bucket was with His disciples, and He just sat there and watched people put money in. Can you say awkward? (laughs) Because He saw the coins that the widow put in, and they're the size of a dime, This widow put in these mites, and she gave more than all of the wealthy that came and made a parade and go, woof, because she gave all that she had. Oh, that's personal, brother. If you're a disciple, it's not. If you're a fan, it is. If you're a disciple, Jesus owns it. Why does he want it? I don't know why I'm getting off on this. Feel the tension in the room. He wants it because our heart is attached to our stuff. And our identity is attached to our stuff. And our security is attached to our stuff. Our sense of well being is attached to our stuff. That's why he said to the rich young ruler Dude, eternal life is yours, but the problem is you've got an idol in your heart and it's your stuff. And so what you've got to do is take radical action and give it away. You have to if you want to be free. This is what disciples do. They continue in my word. Oh. And then they know the truth, and then the truth makes them free. This is what disciples do. And this is who disciples are. And the problem, in my view, I'm not critical, I love the church. I love this people. I love the body of Christ. But the problem in the body of Christ in the Western church, in America in particular, is that we have not trained people to be disciples. We have trained them to be spectators. We have trained them to come to watch a performance and to be encouraged and built up, but we haven't trained them to do the hard work of being a disciple and getting in the penny press and letting its wheels crush us so that we can have a new image. So we go out, we come in, and we go out with the same image, and it's not the right image. Disciples get shaped by His Word, and they let it get into every part of their life. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.